Welcome everybody, my name is Corey Allen, of course, and this is the Overton Report. Thank you for joining us. I hope that everybody had a wonderful uh, Easter weekend. I hope that you got to sit down with family, celebrate the reason for the holiday. I hope that it was it was good to you. And uh, and I hope that you didn't face too much BS from random leftists, either in your family or otherwise. We celebrated the goddess Eostre. I'm sorry if I didn't pronounce it correctly. She is the goddess of fertility, spring, and rebirth. The symbol for fertility has always been an egg forever. And her spirit animal is a rabbit. So this is where the Easter egg and the Easter bunny comes from. That can't be real, right? Can we talk about the dark history of Easter? Sorry to say that Easter has nothing to do with Jesus. Many aspects of traditional Christianity, holidays, practices, doctrines. Springtime came not from Christ or the Bible, but came from pagan religion. Easter Sunday is a Babylonian pagan holiday, which idolizes the fertility goddess Ishtar. Except when Christians adopted the egg as their Easter symbol in the 13th century, they used to paint it red, which symbolizes Jesus's blood. So nobody really knows when Jesus was resurrected, but Christians decided it would be on a pagan holiday. The people they slaughtered for being pagan. You know, we just went through the Easter season and I realized something. I worship a brown skinned man as God. He was hung on a tree. That's the way the Bible describes it. Nailed to the cross, he was hung on a tree. So he was essentially lynched. So I worship a lynched, brown-skinned man who was killed by people with white privilege. Yeah, so, so basically I just hope you didn't have to deal with things like that all day. Giving out just massive amounts of misinformation uh, about the holiday. Isn't it funny how they can never, ever agree on which pagan god these Christian holidays come from? Always, always like seven of them. But yeah, moving right on. Happy Easter. We've got a lot to talk about. We're, we're going to talk about uh, the insurrection that took place in Tennessee. Uh, at the state house on March 30th. That's fun. I, uh, I, I of course, in, in calling it an insurrection, I'm only using the terminology that the left has coined for such such events. Except this one, this one it, it was definitely closer to that. And uh, it's funny. It's funny because after, so in Tennessee, of course, at Nashville, uh, a Christian school was shot up by a trans activist. Now, we know that the trans activist picked that school, that particular target, based on the fact that there were no guns there. We're still waiting on the release of the manifesto, which they will never release because you know it has a bunch of leftist talking points and uh, gender ideology, critical theory, bullshit strewn throughout it so of course the powers that be will never allow that manifesto uh, to be released to the public they will fight it tooth and nail man i hope it comes out in that same vein another trans activist was arrested for plotting a very similar event 
there's a manifesto there too that we'll never see. But so this Christian school gets shot up. And of course, I don't know if you remember, but right when it happened, the left was going nuts. Oh, we got another right wing white supremacist on our hands. We've really got to clamp down on these political ideologies, etc., etc. Until it started coming out that it was a trans uh, uh, gender ideologue type person. <laughs> I don't. It's, it's so confusing. You don't even know what to call him. Okay, so it's a trans man, and for the uninitiated into the new religion of gender and critical ideologies, that means it's a girl. Who thinks she's a dude? Okay. Taking testosterone, becoming very aggressive, very emotionally unstable, as often happens when these young people are injected with hormones meant for the opposite sex, that the opposite sex produces naturally in such quantities as they're injecting into uh, these trans, trans young people. Well... Once that bit of information came out and the talk of a manifesto, a leftist style manifesto was being broached, suddenly the narrative just immediately shifted to now they're mad at us for misgendering the murderer of children. They don't care about, they don't, they don't care that the children were shot and they don't care that it was a politically motivated piece of domestic terrorism by a leftist. They don't care about that. One, it's you misgendered the person and that's disrespectful. Listen, if you're intentionally misgendering the shooter from Tennessee, you don't actually care about the victims. You just want an excuse for your internalized transphobia. His name is Aiden. What he did is inexcusable, but your transphobia and misgendering of him is also inexcusable. Don't use this tragedy to try to excuse your transphobia. The trans community is already under attack with over 400 bills attacking our rights in the U.S. And two, the gun did it. It was the gun's fault. The gun did it by itself. <laughs> so if you, if you recall, there was a, quote, trans day of vengeance all across the country planned for April 1st. And then this happened that week. And then, um... On March 30th in Tennessee, that they used the momentum of that planned event throughout the country, tacked on anti-gun rhetoric, and went to the capital of Tennessee. They went to the state house. So, now you've got hundreds of agitated leftist ideologues already really twisted in the head, right? Going to the state house in Memphis right after a trans day of vengeance had been planned and a mass shooting of Christian children by a trans activist in Nashville, Tennessee had just happened. And they went there to complain about guns, killing people on their own. Right. And not only that, but it was literally this insurrection as the left defines insurrection now, was led, not just attended, but led by three Democrat lawmakers. 
elected lawmakers, and we're going to talk about that in a second. One of those lawmakers is on film during the 2020 riots in Nashville, hitting people in the face through their car windows with those big rubber traffic cones while blocking traffic. These are the type of people the Democrats elect, and we keep putting the same weak Republicans in to, what, defend against them? No, it's not going to work. Now, if you go through the pictures, it's hard to find, especially in the mainstream media, it's hard to find any photos except for ones where people are holding signs. They're like, you know, ban guns, am I next, and et cetera, et cetera. But if you look real hard, you'll see a lot of signs about the trans community there. So just another way, it's very similar to the to what the media did when we first started this, where Black Bloc Antifa was throwing frozen water bottles and hitting old women and children in the face in downtown Charleston at Marion Square. And the news just completely, they were filming the whole thing, and then the news just showed photos and, and video of those Black Bloc Antifa later on the on one knee with their fists up, claiming it was a peaceful event, etc., etc. That's literally what spurred us on to creating the Overton Report because we saw what they actually did. We saw the children and a woman in a wheelchair get hit in the face with frozen water bottles. And then we saw the media talk about how peaceful and loving they were, right? So things like what happened at the state house in Tennessee, those types of things really are, they're really frustrating to me to see. So during this event <laughs> on March 30th, these protesters were joined or really led by three state house representatives. Justin Jones, Justin Pearson, and Gloria Johnson. One of them grabbed a, um, a bullhorn and started screaming in the state house. They led the mob in. They joined them in chants, stopped the entire state house business, stopped all state house business from being able to happen, all this. And they were then stripped of their committees. And two of them, Justin Jones and Justin Pearson, were expelled from the House of Representatives. Gloria Johnson, she was able to retain her seat by one vote. But that's not where this ends. You remember, for, for think about January 6th, right? January 6th was a protest, and there were by far hundreds of thousands more people than there were at this one. But it's a bigger area, a bigger place. At this one, almost every protester went into the state house in Tennessee, and they were literally led by elected officials. Okay, you remember Josh Hawley? There was a photo of him, like with his hand up in solidarity with some of the protesters early that morning on January six, and they're still using that to try and kick him out <laughs> of Congress. Like they're still trying to just say he incited, he instigated. Donald Trump, go home peacefully. Go home. He incited it, they say. But these three people, well, after this happens, Kamala Harris goes to Tennessee. 
not to stand in solidarity with the children or the families of the children who were killed, the families of the staff members at that Christian school who were killed. No, no, no. Kamala Harris goes to stand in solidarity with these three state representatives who led a mob of very violent, weird, very angry people into their state house. She goes there to to, to stand with them. Then they get invited to the White House. It's insane to me the way that the left works. But not only that, it's more insane to me that we allow it to. We allow it to work. We allow their tactics to work. We watch them do what they accuse us of doing. But we watch them actually take part in it. <laughs> and, and we do nothing. There's no action. There's, there's minimal outrage. And the media, really, they just, they just stand by it. And they just push whatever narrative the left wants them to push. It's very strange, very strange stuff. And I think that, I think it's detrimental to the way our nation works. If for, for the left, even, even like moderate Democrats, for them to just sit there and, and deny it, because you know that they see you know that they see it happening. I also find it strange that when you're protesting, if you're a conservative protesting, you know, pretty cut and dry, clear issues surrounding election interference and, and things like that, um, and censorship and lockdowns and forced vaccinations and things like that. When you're a conservative protesting those things, protesting the government controlling you or trying to grasp more and more power over you, you, well, you're, you're, you're a dreg of society. You're a deplorable, right? You're an untouchable extremist, a domestic terrorist. If you're a parent protesting at, at a school board meeting, a trans dude a dude who thinks he's a girl going into the women's restroom and raping two kid, two two girls in the women's restroom at two different schools. If you go and you say that's wrong at a school board meeting, you're a domestic terrorist, according to Joe Biden's Department of Justice and Merrick Garland. But if you are protesting in order to give the government more power over the individual, if you're protesting in order to to help strip the American people of their literal constitutionally guaranteed rights, well, you're you're a hero. You are a hero. And you will be treated as such. You will be invited to the White House. And we see this happen over and over again, don't we? A great example is is uh, Dylan Mulvaney. Dylan Mulvaney has put himself out there as the de facto voice of the trans community, right? 365 days of girlhood. And now after 365 days, he's now a woman. So it's now he's doing his little womanhood act. If he gets invited to the White House for putting on this minstrel show of womanhood, and what is one of the major aspects of trans ideology when it comes to 
what they want to implement on the public. Well, they want parents to lose the right to have any say in their child's development, especially if it's if that quote development includes hormone treatments, which is basically chemical castration of minors, (laughs) which aren't happening, but really are happening because it's like. Why, why would we be able to force hospitals to stop doing something if they weren't doing the thing, right? Like in Tennessee and in Charleston. So yes, they, they were doing it and they still are. I mean, don't, don't let them lie to you. The Fenway Institute, go, go check that out. Fenwayinstitute.org. They go all over the country and teach doctors how to get away with transing your kid videos, how to, how to leave certain things off of, off of their medical forms. So yeah, those things are happening. But also one of the main aspects of trans ideology is to force you and me and anyone else to use certain language, force us to speak correctly. So another constitutional right that it's okay for them to protest in favor of demolishing. But if you have a a first amendment protest that's pro first amendment, well, you're, you're domestic right-wing extremist terrorist, Don't you know? And that's how it always is. The left has been using their power to socially engineer the culture. That's why everything is politics. Everything. Culture is politics now. They made it that way. They made it that way. And that's why they have to blame everything on some enemy, some conservative or right-wing enemy. That's why the media in Charleston and the, the leftists on the school board have been attacking Ed Kelly because he's an outspoken conservative. And they can't allow conservatives to know that we do have a voice and that we are the majority because if they let us know if they allow us to know that and if they allow it to happen without coming hard down on us and punishing us and lambasting us and trying so hard to ostracize us if they don't do that if they allow our ideas to just be in the public square we always win we will win Our ideas are right, correct. So they can't allow our ideas to flourish. They can't allow us to make the argument that men are men and women are women. Because if they do, then their argument is seen for being as dumb as it is. So that's why they have to shout you down. That's why they can't let you speak. That's why... That's why they will use the full force of the government and any other avenue, any other institution or threat of force to silence you, not to debate you, not to debate ideas, but to stop ideas that they don't like from being heard in the first place. That is the common thread through almost every single Democrat and leftist issue today. One one example of them using every single 
piece of power at their disposal to silence and destroy us, well, just at the end of last week, the Department of Justice admitted that of the 13 proud members of the Proud Boys that were involved with January 6th, more than eight of them had been paid by the FBI to provide the government information about the group. Think about this. This is the same thing that happened with the Oath Keepers. These are the two groups that, that they have demonized in order to say we're, we're all terrorists, right-wing extremists. And it comes out that not only were the Oath Keepers, had the Oath Keepers been infiltrated by the FBI and the FBI had planned the major aspects of them going into the Capitol, but now more than half, almost two-thirds of the 13 Proud Boys that had gotten in trouble on January 6th were feds, were FBI agents. Five are being prosecuted. Eight FBI agents get five citizens to do something, and then the five citizens get arrested. You remember uh, the Gretchen Whitmer uh, kidnap case. The Michigan governor, Gretchen Whitmer, same exact thing. The people involved in that, they were acquitted, thank God, because the, the FBI agents co-opted them, planned it out for them. I mean, it was, it was just simple cut and dry entrapment. That's what it was. And that's what they will do. I mean, we see, we see it, man. This two-tiered justice system, which really just means no justice system at all. It's a scary, it's a scary thing, you know, because especially when it comes to federal agencies like the FBI, the NSA, the CIA, which aren't supposed to operate in America, but they do. Let's, let's be real. These things, well, they're, they're not, they're not a small thing. And then when you're, you're able to infiltrate the justice system aspect of it, the court system, well, then you have nowhere to go. I don't know how long they think they can do these things. I don't know how long they can, they can do these things. <laughs> I just, but that's what happens when their plan is to destroy the faith in the institutions because their goal is to rule over the ashes once we fall to China. So, <clears throat> so there you go. The government will just blame. They will, they will do something and then they will blame us for it. They'll blame somebody else, especially the left will do something and blame the right. Which is exactly what happened when it comes to Joe Biden blaming Donald Trump for the Afghanistan withdrawal issue. When 13 service members died because Joe Biden made a big ticker tape parade letting everybody know what day they were going to be withdrawing from Afghanistan. And then just did it, no plans, left all the weapons there, which they're using, by the way. Single-handedly recreated Al-Qaeda basically, and ISIS. Donald Trump had taken, taken ISIS out. It was gone. Joe Biden basically rearmed the, the entire region with American weapons, allowed 13 service members to die, then blames Donald Trump for the withdrawal and the deaths. From the New York Post, uh, 
as National Security Council spokesman John Kirby took questions from reporters about the 12-page document released moments before he met the media, President Biden himself slipped out the front door of the White House to a waiting helicopter, departing Washington to spend the Easter holiday weekend at Camp David. The 12-page review blames President Donald Trump's administration uh, for pledging to the Taliban that the U.S. would leave Afghanistan by May 2021 a move that supposedly left his successor no option but to pull American forces out. In fact, the deal also gave the U.S. the right to withdraw from the accord if Afghan peace talks failed, which they did. So, for those at home keeping score, the 12-page document blames Donald Trump because Donald Trump's administration pledged to the Taliban, the new and improved Taliban that we were working with, to give them some power in the government, right? That, that, that the U.S. would leave Afghanistan by May 2021. And that was part of the Doha Agreement, okay? But that deal gave the U.S. the right to say never mind if Afghanistan peace talks had failed. Surprise, surprise, the Afghan peace talks failed, meaning that we could have stayed and done it in a more orderly fashion and at least gotten our equipment because... God knows we're about to need it with people like Lindsey Graham going on Face the Nation saying we need nuclear armed submarines to well, first we need to rearm our submarines with nuclear weapons and then put them in Taiwan to stop China from blockading it. So, yeah, we could probably use some of those weapons that we just gave to people who hate us right about now. But still blaming Donald Trump. They can't help themselves. If there's any group that is doing as much as possible to help Donald Trump win the 2024 election, it is the Democrat Party. It truly is. There's nobody doing more work on behalf of Donald Trump's candidacy than the Democrat Party, these clowns. An interesting tidbit about this this little uh, this 12-page document. The name Trump was mentioned in that document 14 times while the word accountable was written just once (laughs) and even then according to the new york post the word accountable is not in reference to the united states or the biden administration taking responsibility (laughs) so it's not about them saying we are accountable it's all just everything is orange man bad with these people Mm. so moving on now into a couple of South Carolina issues, something that kind of caught me off guard the other day. I got a call from a friend and he was almost inconsolable. He's, he's been working along with a lot of other people on a bill in the South Carolina state house. And the, the sole intention of this bill is it's for family court and it's to presume that both parents should have equal time and access to their children, both father and mother. Now, in the real world, in South Carolina, the mother is definitely assumed to be the primary caregiver, okay? So we've seen this over and over again. That We've seen the fathers just get screwed over time and time again. We've seen just some of the most insane things happen with good fathers and bad mothers or good fathers and good mothers. So basically, this bill 
It's very simple. It's got sponsorship from the leaders of both parties in the House, among dozens of other people, both Democrat and Republican, because it's just it's a it's a good bill. It's very simple. It just says to amend the South Carolina Code of Laws by amending Section 63-15-220 relating to parenting plans so as to create a rebuttal presumption that it is in the best interest of the child to spend approximately an equal amount of time with each parent when both parents are willing, able, and fit. Okay? So, this bill was brought up for what is called a unanimous consent. Now, uh, a unanimous consent is, is a pretty simple procedure. Basically, you know, you could set it up to bring the bill up, from a committee, make a motion for unanimous consent. If nobody objects, then the bill will pass without discussion or anything like that. So usually they do it for, you know, very simple bills. <laughs> I say usually, sometimes they do it for some really pretty shady things. But on the South Carolina State House floor, we wrote a few days back, this bill was presented for unanimous consent. But Charleston, South Carolina area Democrat Spencer Wetmore killed it. She objected. This lawyer objected to the bill passing with unanimous consent. So the real question there is like, why? Nobody seems to know why she she would she would do this. Some people uh, in the comments had their own ideas. Uh, one person said that she's spent her entire political career building a coalition of of feminists and, and women's rights. Oh, yeah, she, she is a, a far-left Democrat. I thought the Charleston SC might have spurred you to that conclusion, but just in case, because we do have a couple Republicans now, because we've been so hard at work in Charleston trying to fix things. But, yeah, she's a, she's a leftist. She's a Democrat. And I think there might be something to be said for that, um, because... If there's one thing that feminists hate more than having kids, it's allowing fathers to see their kids. So, yeah. <laughs> so that makes sense. It could be that. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, it's unfortunate because, you know, the poverty rate, the violence from adolescence, the trans problem, we'll call it. All of these things coincide with fatherlessness. And it is a proven fact that Having two parents in the home, or at least two parents with equal access and equal time, as far as you know, reality allows, is one of the biggest contributing factors to, to the success of a child. Whether that success is their ability to read on grade level, which in South Carolina, <laughs> more kids are illiterate than are literate in South Carolina because of our amazing teachers that are definitely not leftist ideologue activists. Definitely not. And it's a problem, you know, because there are so many good teachers out there, and even then, their hands are tied. I was just talking to a teacher today uh, who got fired because she wouldn't uh, manipulate the grades of, of her math class so that all of them would pass. <laughs> like, that's what we're dealing with here, you know? But the fatherless rate has caused so many societal problems. So I don't I don't understand why the court system wouldn't the family court system wouldn't want 
to allow fathers equal time if they deserve it, of course. So we'll follow that through. We're going to talk to some people about it. We'll, we'll see where it goes. This, uh, it's, it's probably going to be a while before this law passes now because of Spencer Wetmore deciding to object. Now, one, one other thing that I really would like to touch on again, because I do see this being something that should be getting a lot of attention. I think that, uh, I think it's indicative of where we need to go as far as governing. And I, and it's something that I, I definitely commend the South Carolina Senate on. And I really, really, really hope that the South Carolina State House, the, the House of Representatives, pushes it forward as well. Legislation was passed, and we touched on this last week, but the State Senate basically on March 23rd, they, they put forward a bill that will ban citizens of four countries from owning or purchasing land in South Carolina. Those countries include uh, the, the, their enemy states. So Russia, North Korea, China, Cuba, and Iran. Okay? So citizens of those countries who are not permanent resident citizens of the United States would not be able to buy land. Now, I don't, I don't know why. I mean, this, and again, this passed the Senate 31 to 5. Uh, State Senator Dick Harputlian was one of the main uh, people fighting against it. But I can understand the knee-jerk reaction to be like, oh, that's this or that. That's their, their right. But those, those rights are for citizens of America, first of all, which is why citizens of America who are of that descent or from or born, even born in any of those nations who are citizens of the United States, it doesn't apply to them. But... We have to understand where we are. You tell me if if you think that Russia would let you go over there with a with a multi-million dollar business and purchase farmland right next to military installations of theirs or China even or Iran or North Korea. So, we have to understand that these countries, they don't operate in a free market individual citizen owner type situation. They don't, they don't do that. The Chinese communist party owns everything that a Chinese businessman owns in, in reality. So they they will allow the Chinese businessman who has to be a member of the CCP, remember to be successful and to reap some of the benefits from that ownership or whatever. But if the time comes, when the time comes, the Chinese Communist Party asks that businessman to do anything, and that businessman must comply. Must. I mean, I say must. Of course, there's another option. Disappear. Same in Iran. Same in Cuba. Same in North Korea. And uh, same in Russia. You know? So, I don't... I don't see this as an issue of of individual liberty for American citizens, okay? But we've seen too much, for, especially, especially from the Chinese, okay? They spy on us. They, they, they take part in social engineering of American citizens, American youth. 
they are purchasing up millions of acres of farmland all over the country, taking control of food, using and, – and, and they're able to do that because they're able to use the power of the Chinese state and all of those resources, pick up a little CCP puppet businessman and use that little puppet to take ownership of American farmlands, American mines, Amer American manufacturing companies or manufacturing companies in America, uh, holding companies. They, they, they're they using the power of the state to do that, right? It's not, it's not individuals. It's not like Jeff Bezos owning a company, right? It would be if Jeff Bezos owned the company because America, the state, put him in control of the company. That's the way it works there. So I know a lot of people are clutching their pearls about this recently, but I'm cool with this. I mean, look, we just had India making a deal to deal in rupees and Chinese yuan. We've got Saudi Arabia doing the same. We got Brazil. Mexico is even going to China now for, for help with the uh, influx of fentanyl. At the behest of the American government, we told them to go to China for help. So I don't know how anybody can make an argument that they're somehow acting in good faith and we need to allow them to. I mean, they're not. I guess, I guess you know, my question would be, would, would you have a problem with, with Nazis owning production companies and having control over, I don't know, the, the, the plants that were building American airplanes? For World War II? Are you cool with Iranian nationals who burn American flags, buying up office buildings, and filling them with computers and spying on the American people? Because that's what, that's what they do. And I, you know, I don't really, I don't really see a problem there. And I mean, don't forget, the Chinese Communist Party just sent spy balloon all the way across America that was shot off off the coast of South Carolina and it's now been completely confirmed that they were in in fact gathering intelligence on our military installations it's like if i have an open door policy at my home for example right nobody has to knock they can come in whenever they want etc cetera, etc cetera. that doesn't mean that i have to let the guy in who's been who who has been telling everybody he wants to kill me Right. I don't I don't have to let him in just because I have an open door policy. I think it's like kind of inherent, like my open door policy is for friends. Friends can walk in, but people that want to kill me. No, sorry. Sorry, you're not allowed. You're, I'm not going to let I'm not going to help you destroy me. It's like, oh, look, there's a guy with a drum of gasoline and a Zippo lighter rolling it up my sidewalk, about to walk in the door and light it up. Well, now you've got an over-door policy. you got to let them. you got to. You don't got a choice. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, that's not happening. I'm not. Go home. Go to Canada. <laughs> They'll let you. <laughs> They've let China do basically everything to them. Go to Canada. We don't need you. So really, you know, we're in a position right now. This is not... People, people are thinking about these things from the bleeding heart, like 
1990s, early, mid-2000s perspective where these countries weren't organized or strong enough to cause real, real damage to the United States, our economy, our, our citizenry. But we're in a perfect storm right now with a weak leader in the White House who basically, I mean, if you objectively look at what he's been doing since the day he came into office, has been working towards a decline of the United States uh, for a more uh, globalist ideology. So we've got that. That's part of the perfect storm. We've got China, who has finally, they've bided their time for long enough and built up, built upon themselves, um, gained enough power and wealth to implement their one China manifest destiny that they have. That mixed with them making deals with different countries who have always used the American dollar, with BRICS, uh, B-R-I-C-S, with them getting ready to implement a new currency to replace ours. Uh, this is a perfect storm, and we are going to be facing some things that, that neither us, nor our parents, nor our grandparents, nor our great-grandparents had ever faced. Because... When the world, when we lose that world reserve currency status, it, it will legitimately make the Great Depression feel like a resort getaway. The hyperinflation that will come because these adversary nations are getting together, they have gotten together, to replace our, our, our currency, to force inflation. That's why they've bought up our debt so much, and that's why they've been stockpiling gold. And to undermine our society through the social engineering projects like TikTok, they've been doing these things and they admit to doing them. I mean, this isn't conspiracy stuff, right? Just because you didn't read it in the New York Times, that's because you didn't go to the ninth paragraph where they, where they said it, right? You read the first two or three Democrats and you get whatever the manipulation they want or the spin that they want in the story to, to that's what you get out of it. But nine paragraphs down, they tell you the truth because they have to. But the fact of the matter is that like, this is not a secret. They are doing this. They are, they are purposefully working to destroy the dollar as the world reserve currency, the, the social fabric of the United States of America, the, our place in the world. And we have, like I said, a weak leader who has a very similar viewpoint to how things should be that, that the leader of China has, Xi Jinping, you know? And that's a dangerous combination. Combination. We've got a Neville Chamberlain in the White House, and we've got Adolf in China <laughs> doing more than Adolf ever could. Militarily, strategically, economically, manpower-wise. So... I don't understand why we have to play nice with CCP members in America and give them our land and give them uh, manufacturing companies and all of these businesses that otherwise could be owned and operated by American citizens or friendly nations at the very least. I would rather American citizens. But why do we have to do that? And I'm going to need a very compelling argument before I buy into something like that. 
and of course, you're seeing Democrats and leftists in South Carolina already talking about this being xenophobic and bigoted and racist and all the other. And and how do they do that? Well, the same way they always they always make that argument. They lie. They're lying about it. They're completely ignoring the fact that it ha- it has no effect on on people who have that those those nationalities as their ancestry, right? Your parents are Chinese, your grandparents or Iranian. It has no bearing on that. And if you are a citizen, a permanent citizen, per- or a permanent resident alien of the United States, it doesn't apply to you either. So it's like, yeah, if you got like a a, a three year green card. You're not allowed to buy an office building. You can still own a business, right? So, like, you can still own the shop, but you just can't own the building the shop is in. So, of course, they're they're just painting with that broad, bigot brush that they've got and doing what they always do. Manipulating the truth and allowing our nation to be destroyed from the inside out while stripping our rights from us. <laughs> and our ability to defend ourselves. So I know that this might rub some people the wrong way, but I just don't, I just don't care. I don't care because at the end of the day, I know how these countries operate and I know that they don't operate the way that the United States operates. If somebody leaves the U S and goes to another country and builds something and buys land, they're not doing it on behalf of the state. Right. They let like America can't go over to that guy and say, hey, this land, you know, we're going to need you to you know, put some weapons on it or we're going to need you to do this with it or it's ours now. The American government can't do that. But the Chinese government, the Russian government, the Iranian government, the North Korean government, the Cuban government. Not only can they do that, they do it often. So <laughs> I don't know. And they hate us. Straight up, they want us to fall. <laughs> these people, man, these people that, that they sit here and they think, and, and I'm talking about these people like Americans, like the American left, they sit here and they think, who cares if we lose global reserve currency status? <laughs> the starvation that will come, the hyperinflation. Think think back to those photographs you see of, of people with wheelbarrows full of cash. That. Burning money to keep warm because it's it's worth more as kindling than it is as, as a product to purchase items. That is what a collapse in the U.S. dollar would mean, not only for Americans, but for most countries in the world. There's no and, and that's not a that's not a hypothesis. Like it's not a it's not a theory. That's what will happen. That's what will happen because it's, it's going to be an aggressive takeover and an aggressive collapse. It's not going to be a gradual shift from the dollar to something else. It's, it's a, it's an organized attempt, an organized coup against the dollar. And we put ourselves in this position, but I, I can also tell you another thing. I don't know that. I, I mean, think about the values that China, the Chinese communist party, think about the Chinese communist party. Think about the values that they have. Do they value individual liberty? No, they value the collective. Do they value life? No. Do they value your liberty to live? Hell, most of the people in China can't even aren't even allowed to own property in China. 
So yeah, do we really want them exporting that to the world, including the United States? I don't. I don't. Peace through strength. Ronald Reagan. Donald Trump. China would have never done this with Donald Trump in power. They know better. So we're going to have to be making some tough decisions at state at, at the state level about these, these types of things because God knows that our federal government is not going to protect us. When it really comes down to the wire, they're supposed to, but they're not going to. They've allowed this to happen. Many of them have facilitated the things that are about to come. Willingly. Happily. Because when it comes down to it, the left, the liberal, the globalists that run such a large portion of the country, of our country, they would much rather rule over the ashes with an iron fist than just be a part of a free society because they have less power, less control in a free society. And the left, you know, well, the, the, the useful idiots out there, well, they're acting as the militant arm for that small globalist elite, that, that bureaucratic elite in the United States. And it's, it's bad. I mean, we still have a chance to turn it around, I think, but, <clears throat> but it's going to take hard decisions like the one the South Carolina Senate decided to make. So let's see if we can get that bill pass through the house and you know let's argue about it (laughs) i think i think there's a really important discussion that needs to be had about them about this whole situation don't forget you can follow me at facebook.com slash cory.allen.overton or search cory allen on facebook you can follow us at twitter you can sign up with a our substack, theovertonreport.substack.com. And of course, you can hear us right here, Big Patriot Radio, every Monday night at 6 p.m. Eastern. We really appreciate you tuning in. My name is Corey Allen, and this is The Overton Report.